Welcome to Lemmy Works, brought to you by Leadership Education Mentoring Institute. We are inspiring parents, mentors, and communities as they embark on the journey of transformational project-based education. Hi, this is Tatiana Fallon. Hi, this is Heidi Christensen. We're so excited to be your hosts. Welcome to today's episode. Today, we have the opportunity to speak with my really good friend, Lucas Reynolds, actually named my son after him. <laughs> well, I, we, I love the name Lucas. There's a, another reason for that name. But anyways, um, we grew up together. He was um, in our Commonwealth together. And um, I think you were in my uh, first sort of freedom class. Pretty sure that was a fun sure. class. You and Brady was really, really rough. But um, yeah, so Lucas, thank you so much for coming on here and taking some time to share with us your journey through leadership education. Can you just introduce yourself a little bit to our audience? Uh huh. Happy to do so. And I am really grateful to be here. Thank you, Tatiana. Thank you, Heidi. Um, so yeah, I'm Lucas Reynolds. I joined, well, my my family homeschooled my our entire lives pretty much. My I'm the fifth of seven kids. When my oldest two sisters were in their local public school in Reno, Nevada, the it became very clear pretty quickly that the school district was that they were working with was not interested in in hearing from the parents and and doing what was best for the the kids in relation to the, what the parents wanted. And so that's this was in the early 80s and really a challenging time to homeschool. Um, that there was a lot of stigmas, a lot of judgment, a, a lot of challenges at that time. And Tati, I see you nodding your head because I, I think we probably both experienced some of that. But, yeah, your mom, your mom is by far one of my favorite pioneers. She just <laughs> is just so amazing, so inspiring. Well, I I, I agree a hundred percent. And I remember her saying that it came to the point that she didn't know what to do because she felt like there wasn't a good educational opportunity in the schools around. And she didn't have an education background per se and really felt torn. What do I do? How do I best serve my family? And eventually she came back to the, the thought of, at least in my home, and this was after like months of studying and thinking. And she said, I may not be a certified teacher, but at least in my home, my kids will feel loved and they'll be able to feel the spirit of God, um, which was really important to her to be able to have a, a place. I think, especially in that love of learning where you can learn those core values of right and wrong and good and bad. And you can have that time to discuss at a deep level, like what does it mean to do right and to do good and I think she had an intuition that that was something that she could provide at a deeper level. And so she jumped in with both feet and that, and so we homeschooled ever since. So my older sister is all homeschooled until college and me and my younger siblings, all of us were homeschooled until college. And, uh, and I think the good news is like it worked quote unquote and <laughs> all of us turned out okay. I guess, um, been able to be successful with, uh, with careers, with family. And I think more importantly, we're really close to each other and, um, and it's, it's a fun to get together and talk about learning because we still learn together because that was such a culture of 
are um, growing up that my mom instilled at a very er early age of having that courage to say, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do this, but I, I know that this is the right step for my family and I'm going to be courageous. And I am so grateful for her taking that step because it's blessed my life and my siblings' lives and all of the individuals that we've uh, impacted since then. So, um, so I was kind of the, the genesis. The next part of, was about the age of 11. Maybe I had just turned 12. We'd been homeschooling on our own, but we felt this need for community. And we'd done a couple of homeschool co-ops or different mom's groups. And, and there was good things there, but we wanted something that was a little more structured and that would challenge us a little bit more. And so we were living in Tremont, Utah, which is like northern, northern Utah. And we found Tatiana's Commonwealth School in Bountiful, which was about an hour and 15, hour and 20 minute drive one way to get there. Um, but it was just significantly better than the other options we had as far as homeschool groups. And so we had a family council. And we talked about like, this is what it would look like. Every Thursday, we would have to get up extra early to be able to go to Commonwealth School. We'd, we'd drive there. We'd be there. We'd have to stay a little bit later because sometimes my dad would be, he would be driving. He had a long commute. So he would take us and drop us off early. We'd go to school and he would pick us up afterwards. So it was a pretty big commitment. And we had, as a family, we had to decide, did we want to do it? Um, and, and we did. We decided to that we wanted to do it. And uh, it, it made a big difference um, in my education and our education going forward. And um, that was, that's kind of the, how it all started. Yeah, it was, it made a big difference for our community too. It was, it was amazing. That first year, were you, did you play Petruchio that first year in the play and drive or was that? That was the next year. So that first year we were driving like an hour, a little over an hour each way. Then that summer we ended up moving to Bountiful. Oh, okay. And okay. so then the second year I didn't have to commute as far, which was really nice. <laughs> yeah. I remember we was everyone was super happy when you guys all decided to move close by and that was really awesome. So do you have like a favorite project or like, you know, of all the classes that were offered at the Commonwealth, do you have like one that you just have like really good memories of or you think really helped you? Yeah. Um, maybe a couple things from a couple of the classes, if I can cheat and yeah, answer. no, for sure. Uh, so I, one, I loved what I learned in, and I apologize if I use any of like the old names, as names might be updated. Uh, I loved in Shakespearean acting, how it challenged me to, uh, be comfortable being in front of people, be comfortable, uh, like practicing with a fourth wall, be comfortable understanding my emotions and how I could portray someone who might have different emotions than my emotions and being able to work through that as a youth was so, so valuable. Um, and now I, I make a living working with people, presenting. I'm going to give a presentation on Saturday to dozens of educators. And so many of those skills that I learned at 12 and 13 and 14 were so valuable and I use all the time now just in that emotional management being able to be comfortable in front of people I, I think they there's the research that um people are more afraid of public speaking than they are of death 
and uh, and I think there's truth to that. I'm surprised at how many people are just terrified of public speaking, and uh, for better or worse, I'm I'm not. And I I think Shakespearean acting had a lot to do with that. Um, and then the second answer would be sort of freedom. I loved sort of freedom. I um, it was fun to see that from the ground up because you were I think kind of building the ship as we were sailing or building the airplane as we were you were flying it, Tati. Yeah, uh, no, it was. I was riding it as I was teaching yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh and I loved that. I think sometimes we have this illusion in life that it has to be perfect for our kids or it has to be perfect for our students. I think there's so much value in them seeing the imperfection and seeing the process of creation. Because watching you do that. Tatiana made me realize, oh, like this didn't exist a few months ago. Like this is getting created as we're going. I can create other things too. Or prepared me, I don't remember, I think it was, I don't think it was the next year. I think it was the following year when you were heading off to college and you handed the baton to me and I was able to teach Sword of Freedom. Uh, it really empowered me because I had seen that process. I'd seen it being created. So that was probably the, um, those those were two really impactful things I remember. I think it was pretty gutsy of, of the Commonwealth leaders at the time to be like, oh yeah, let's have Tatiana teach this class and create the whole thing on her own. There wasn't a, an, a parent in the class with us. Mm -mm. I was like 16 or maybe I was seven. No, I was like 16 or 17. And I taught the whole thing and created the whole thing. And there wasn't, I there there was you, you were, you, no, Chris was the oldest kid and he was older than me. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and then there was you and, and Brady, the next oldest ones. And, and it was just like, yeah, let's give a 16 year old kid two hours of time and, and it'll be used well. <laughs> I think that's, I don't I think it speaks volumes also just to the nature of like, if you do leadership education and you give structure and you let the kids learn to love to, to learn and then get the school, the skills for going through TGYC to mm -hmm. learn how to learn, then yeah, at 16, 17, they can go out and create things, you know? They can do that because you've given them all the tools to do it. So that's that's awesome. I'm glad you liked it. I remember though, it was probably one of the most stressful semesters of my life because I just, I don't know what I'm doing. And Lucas and Brady keep making all this so hard because they keep challenging me on everything. <laughs> but it was really fun. Some of the simulations we did there were really, really fun. Um. Well, and I hope, as I was thinking about this tonight and the this podcast and being able to to chat, one of the things that kept coming to mind was how meaningful the leadership opportunities were outside of just like the projects or the curriculum. and i and I hope that as 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 we spread leadership education, that people take confidence in in empowering youth to do that to do exactly that to co-teach a class or teach a lesson or um challenge youth to do things maybe outside the box and and allow youth the opportunity to do things that might be scary and i i think what was one of the most powerful things for me about um, TGYC or Quest or Shakespearean acting was I had the opportunity to go through the classes, but then 
when but then I had the opportunity to, to be a TA or then to teach some of the classes. And maybe not every student will have the opportunity to be like age 16 teaching students that are older than them. But I think there's some there's some power there that in the education world at large, we're hesitant to hand responsibility to youth. Like we're hesitant to give them too much freedom. And I, and I, but that's one of the things I love about TJ, like the TJ Ed model or the leadership model is it encourages that. And it says, no, we believe in our youth and we believe that they can do great things. Uh, we just need to expect it of them. Why do you think that it's so hard for the education or just, you know, educators to relinquish that control or to allow that freedom? What's do you think the 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 thing that inhibits their ability to to just trust the process? Yeah, really good question. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with decades of teenagehood. Like if you look through history, the teenager didn't exist until the mid 1900s. Like you had children and then 11, 12, 13, all of a sudden you you had youth that, that weren't adults, they didn't have voting rights, but you kind of had to treat them like adults because I think it was 85, 87% of Americans lived in outside urban areas. So you had the vast majority of Americans were on rural farms where at age 12, you were doing chores and there was a clear role for youth. Well, then between, I don't remember the exact dates, between like 1902 and 1929, you have this huge flip-flop of 85% of Americans live in um, outside, outside urban areas to all of a sudden you have a majority of Americans living in urban areas with the industrial revolution and with the world wars and, and the technological advances that come there. So all of a sudden you have this, this creation of the teenager where you have kids that aren't able to give much to society. And then you have adults who are expected to, but then you have this teenagerhood that you don't know what to do with. And you're like, well, we can't have them vote. We can't have them like own businesses. And in certain places, like we can't have them work until they're 16 because of child labor laws, because of the, you know, the abuses that had happened in early industrial revolution. Like, so we're just going to like put them in schools in this conveyor belt system and we're going to train them to eventually be good employees. But I think about like I've I've spent decades working with or yeah, I've I've spent over like a decade and a half working with youth. And when you think when you see that light in their eyes and their like that divinity in their souls of like, they came here to do something great. And then you push a pile of papers in front of them and say, okay, like circle the bubble. And hopefully you get like a 75, if you get a 75%, then you can go to a good college. It's just so uninspiring. And, and I think that's one of the challenge, like, why is it a problem? I think it's a problem because as a society at large, it's a problem. We don't know what to do with our youth. Like, why do our youth go to video games? Because in a video game, they're challenged. Like video game, video gamers 
it, we have some of the brightest technological minds creating puzzles that challenge and show leadership. And there's opportunities for our youth to get in and have leadership as they're playing these multiplayer games with their friends across the United States. Like they are being pushed, they're being challenged, they're getting something that's exciting. And so, yeah, they'd rather do that than, than, do, than do homework. But what if we could flip that? What if we make school exciting? What if we give them leadership opportunities? We blur those lines between like work and play. We blur those lines between project and passion. And we are able to empower students to feel passion about what they're doing and catch that fire and then move into more of a scholar phase of being able to spend hours studying and working on something and, and hours, you know, being able to have leadership opportunities. So I think to answer your question, go back to it. Why is it so hard? Because I think right now our culture is counter, like it's counterculture to empower you. We don't know how to do it as a society. And so I think you're pushing upstream, but I think there's so much value in doing it for our youth. Wow, that's awesome. That was so awesome. <laughs> Heidi's like, this is so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I I love that. I mean, my great grandfathers, two of my great grandfathers didn't go past eighth grade. They had to stop working in order to support their family, support support their their mother and their siblings. And I mean, both of them were successful. One of them extremely successful. He worked for William Randolph Hearst. He was a political cartoonist, all self-taught, but he didn't, he only had an eighth grade graduation, you know, education. Um, but it really was like, my parents were the first generation of true teenagers. And most people don't understand that. And it's like this whole lost age that we have just taken away so much from that age and when we should be helping them find their identity and and they are not motivated this age group i've just talked to so many parents and teachers who are like we can't get them to do anything you know that yeah because they're finding that in the games i mean the pe people are you know all they do is play video games it's like yeah, because that's where they're they're getting their motivation. That's where they're getting that excitement. And they can, you know, have that leadership opportunity. I loved what you said, Lucas. That was awesome. Well, and and I but it but it takes work. Like I one of the authors we read quite a bit in TJ Ed requests at the time was C.S. Lewis. I remember reading quite a few of his books. Um and and he talks about education and pleasures and he talks about lower order pleasures and higher order pleasures and some pleasures you have to pay a price to be able to enjoy them he says like there's um there's pleasures of reading a paperback novel there's also pleasures of reading aristotle cicero and plato in the original greek and latin like or reading the you know the, the greek comedies in original Greek, like there's a pleasure there, but that's a pleasure you have to pay a price for. And, and I think the age we're in now gives us so many immediate pleasures in every, like in food, in entertainment, like everywhere you go, 
you can live your life just in immediate pleasures and never develop like those deeper levels of pleasure if you you know if you don't want to but those the shallow pleasures don't last very long like you get a, a small hit and and then you need another small hit like facebook instagram yes like there's you get a dopamine hit every time like moving into your know, brain science for a little bit like you get a dopamine hit every time you go in because they're designed to do that but there's pleasures of studying for you know studying Locke for three hours or studying Beethoven for three hours like practicing an instrument and mastering a skill like there's a pleasure that comes there that's much deeper but you have to have that mentor that can help guide you and help you taste it and so you can realize oh like this actually is enjoyable there's a price to be paid but it's enjoyable and it's worth that price and that's why I love the idea of a mentor as opposed to a teacher, like that terminology is, I think the, one of the main distinctions there is you're helping youth experience those deeper pleasures so that they, they, they know that they want to put in the price for their education because they know that like it's sweet and it's good. I love you bring this up because I literally just like was putting my, my daughters to bed and they're both not reading independently yet. And I've been trying to get them on the love of learning and just been introducing, going to library every single week, getting like every single thing I can get in front of them to just learn to love to read. And so finally, this summer we took a car trip and we were gone for 10 hours in the car and we I got them to listen to audiobooks. Like it literally took me like all the way to this, like I've been trying so hard. And finally they were stuck in the car and they learned to listen to audiobooks. So since we've done that, they've listened to, listened to over 32 audiobooks in just the last four months and they just they just soak them in they soak them in they love them so much but they have a series they love it's called the wings of fire and that's all they want to listen to but it's it's very it's candy and so i literally was just having a conversation with them like okay you've listened through all 15 books and now we need to do something else because they're like yeah but we want to listen to it again we want to listen to it again and over and over again i'm like i understand that it's a fun book it's a really fun book but what if i fed you candy for breakfast lunch and dinner and they're like that'd be so gross mom we'd throw up and it would make us sick and i'd hate it and i hate candy anyways and so then we were like i was talking about like, hey listen well you need to i i made them read um listen to all of c.s lewis's um Chronicles of Narnia before they could finish the series so they listened to the entire Chronicles of Narnia in two days because <laughs> they were like really wanted to finish their series and um, so then I asked them I said what did you learn from Chronicles of Narnia and my little girl was the sweetest moment she's like Eustace had a really broken heart and made really bad choices but Aslan healed his heart so it's like if if I just let my kids just sit in the pleasure zone, which is where they want to be, and not be the mentor that fo for, forces them to find the depth, then I'm really doing them a huge disfavor because they could just sit in pleasure the whole time. But it takes me actually knowing other classics <laughs> to be a mentor, you know. So I I just think that's so like so insightful because that's literally the conversation we just had. Well, I love that example, Tati, because at each phase, like in love of learning, you know, scholar, wherever, wherever they are, there's going to be the candy of that phase. And there's going to be depth and it's going to look different. Like what's 
deep in core is going to be very different than what's deep in scholar phase. But you as the parent or you as the mentor has to be able to be in tune to where that student is and what's deep for them. What What's that like in education, one of the terms is that they call it the, the zone of proximal development or like ZPD, but that idea of like, there's what you can do on your own. And then there's what you can't do if you imagine like a big circle outside of that. And then, so the little circle of what you can do on your own, the big circle of what you can't do. And then right outside that big circles or that little circle is like another circle that's just a little bit bigger. And that's what you can do with help or with guidance. And that's the role of the mentor, of a great teacher, a great mentor is to be able to see where is my student? Like what's that, their current ability level? And then what's just outside of that? What's in their that zone of proximal development? What's just next? that if they just get a little in, in, inspired, you know, like, okay, we've, we've read that series, like let's do Chronicles of Narnia and just a little bit outside their comfort zone, but it was the next right step. Like that's great mentoring right there. I love that example. So speaking of mentoring, do you feel like in the Commonwealth you had mentors who did that for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, there, there were many mentors that in the comment school that helped. I think, uh, your mom and Nellie Milne was one that was especially meaningful to me. And I think back whenever I think back to teachers or mentors, the, I think she has a gift for sensing that, like, where is a student at what's just outside their current comfort zone and then expecting that of them. Um, I remember, in, when when we did the Shakespeare play and I was at, asked to be Petruchio, I think I'd done one play. Yeah, I'd done one play the year before and had a backup role and then was asked to be the lead and memorize. I don't remember how, remember how many lines, but it's like a third of the play is Petruchio speaking. Like, there's, a, there's a lot of lines there. And I remember the confidence that she had in me that I could memorize the lines and I could be a great Petruchio. And she had way more confidence than I did at the beginning, um, but that confidence was contagious and eventually got to the point that I, and I, but I wanted to like, I was down here at level two and she was seeing me at like a level 10. And I was like, there's no way, like I'm not a level 10, but the more that she communicated to me, like, Lucas, you can be a level 10, you can be a level 10. Like it challenged me. And I remember working with her and, your older sister, Natalia, like multiple times in, we would have practices and like, I couldn't keep a straight face. Like I would start to laugh or like I needed to be serious. Or I think the hardest one is I needed to be me. There, uh, there were a couple of scenes that like, Pajukio has to, is pretty mean. And by nature, I'm like a very conflict averse person. And that was really hard. Like I, I couldn't yell. I couldn't get upset. Like it was just so against me. And having to work through that and realize, okay, here's how I can portray this really valuable human emotion. And it doesn't have to be me. Like I can portray this and still, you know, and, and, and still be a kind, loving person. And that mentoring was like, it slowly took me from like a two to a three to a four to a five until eventually I got to the, what they saw in me and then looked back and thought, wow, I didn't think I could do this, but they did. 
We're interrupting this broadcast to remind you to share and subscribe. Also, be sure and check out our website at lemmymentortraining.com. That is awesome. How, now you are in education, you said. So how have you taken your experience of being mentored to being a mentor for other kids? Yeah, really good question. Um, I think one of the big things that I try to take away in my interactions with youth um, or in my interactions with teachers, right now I work with a lot of school administrators, with teachers, um, and is to communicate to you. Like I often will think back to being mentored by Anelody and think, how would Anelity, like what would Anelity, what would Anelity see in this student? Or like, what would Anelity expect out of this student? And how could I expect the same thing? Where, like, what's the, this student might be at a two, what would be their 10? Like, what can I see in them and um, expect of them? And so when for years as I was a middle school age or high school, you know, scholar age teacher and then administrator in school, and then now as I work with teachers and administrators, I, I just have a passion for that of let's empower the youth. Youth learn by doing. Youth don't learn by being talked to. Very rarely, like there's certain, there's times for being talked to. There's times for that, but really, the we learn most by doing. And so I think that's one of the big things I take away, and I I try to apply is we learn from doing, and and I hope and I want to with all the educators I work with now, I try to instill that of hey, we learn by doing. Let's have our youth be doing things, not just be being talked to. Having um, someone to pattern your mentoring over, I think, uh, is super helpful. I know when I, um, I when I was at George With, I was in a colloquium with um, Schulteis. She's not Schulteis anymore, though. Megan. Mianja. Mianja, yeah. She's a phenomenal mentor. And she wasn't my primary mentor, but she was one of, I was in a colloquium. She was leading colloquium for something. And I sat down and I was like, whoa this is one of the best colloquiums I've ever been with. What did she do? And I tried really hard to just watch her like, and, and be part of that colloquium. So I, I really like that you like find those mentors that you know and you've had and just observe the things that they do because it's really a great way to learn. It's a really good way they learn. So you said that your family moved, felt like you needed a community is that what you said like you felt like you needed to to have a community in your homeschooling so what do you feel like the commonwealth community created for you or your family yeah i i two things i think one is it gave exposure to other adults that weren't our parents that had different levels of expertise um and there's i think there's a natural transition from that core love of learning, especially like transition between love of learning into scholar, preparing youth to go into a core phase or to exit the home, we're 
it's natural and it's good for youth to start getting ready to leave home. Like we want our kids to be ready for that. Right now in society, we kind of have the problem of kids aren't leaving home. And, um, you know, that's a generational problem we're dealing with. But there's, I don't, when I've worked with parents, I don't know how many times I would have moms come to me with to have a son that's like 11 or 12. And they're like, Mr. Reynolds, I don't know what to do. Like a year ago, my son was like a cuddly teddy bear. He always wanted to be with me. He's always like, mommy, come look at this. Mommy, come look at this. And now he's like, doesn't like, I don't like he's closed off. Like he doesn't want to talk to me as much. Like he's like, don't give me hugs. Like what's going on? And I would have to like, we'd talk about it and see like if, if there was some like something bigger that was a problem. But very often it was, your son's starting to become a man. And there's this transition that's going on where he's filling this pull because on one side, he loves you. He loves you deeply. And on the other side, he has these emotions and these feelings that he can't even put into words, especially for teenage boys. There's problems about putting feelings into words of like, I need to be my own person and I need to not be my mom. And I need to not be my dad. I need to be my own person. I need to be strong and I need to be a defender. I need to be a protector. And I have no idea how to do that because I'm 12. And like, this is a challenge that I saw over and over and over again. But like, that's a stepping stone in a very good process um, in preparing youth in preparing youth to be able to make a difference. And uh, I got so engaged in that, I forgot the original question. Remind me where, where <laughs> no, you're totally fine. Um, how did the Commonwealth, like why did your family feel like you needed oh, yeah. the community? Yeah. Oh yeah. So I think that was a big piece is as we're tr you're transitioning from that like love of learning to eventually a core, like get out of the home, there's value in being able to gain, have a deep relationship with someone who's not your parents. Like if you look at suicide rates, one of the primary factors of teen suicide is do they have a healthy relationship with a non-parental adult? Do they have a strong relationship with a non-parental adult? If the answer is yes, it's significant. It's like one of the number one fact determining factors on suicide at riskness. Um, which isn't a word, but but communicates the meaning. Like it, whether or not they're at risk for suicide, they, there's something so valuable for youth to have someone, a trusted adult that's not the parent that they can go to and they can learn from. Um, and then I think the second piece was leadership opportunities. You can lead in a way in a Commonwealth school that you can't in your own home. Um, and so I think those are two things that we found in a Commonwealth school that were incredibly valuable. I love how you shared how, you know, kids need to, especially around the time that we call scholar phase, you know, starts at, at right around that 11, 12, 13 years old, they need to break away. And that is such a natural thing. And one of the things I love about leadership education is that it recognizes that and gives, especially with the, the Lemmy philosophy, Lemmy model, we you know, these communities provide that for our kids um, and gives them that those opportunities to learn, okay, all of these different 
uh, emotions that we're, we're talking about in, in Shakespeare and all of those leadership opportunities and, and seeing these people to pattern their lives over in, you know, sword and hero and key of liberty. And I mean, it's just a really great opportunity. I know I have five boys and one of the reasons I was really afraid to, to start homeschooling is how are they going to learn to flirt if there are only five boys at home? Okay. Angela Creel taught my kids how to flirt. I mean, in Shakespeare, they learned to flirt because of Shakespeare. It's like you get everything. It's awesome. And, and then you can answer that question of what are you going to do about their social lives? Yeah. That every homeschool yeah. parent gets asked. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there is there is no issue with, with um, socialization because they're just socialized differently. I mean, my 16-year-old is just as comfortable talking to an, his 80-year-old grandmother as he is to talking to his four-year-old cousin. He's probably not as comfortable talking to a public school 16-year-old who only knows how to socialize with other public school 16-year-olds. Okay, who is more socialized? No. Yeah. So how do you feel like a leadership education has helped you in providing for your children or your family as a, as a provider? Yeah, really good question. Um, I remember at one point, maybe two things. One, when after college, I went into education and was in a, a school where we espoused a lot of leadership education principles. And so I think there was a natural connection there of just being able to draw on that, um, which was great. But the challenge there is I don't, not everyone gets to have that experience of going through leadership education and then their career is in leadership education. Uh, I think we want to raise leaders that can go impact all of society in medicine and business and science and religion and you know all the sectors of society you need to be healthy. We want leaders in all of those. Um, so I think my big foray into that was leaving education, like leaving the school and then going into educational technology, specifically in the role of sales. And I remember at first feeling like, what in the world am I doing here? Like, this is sales. How does leadership education have anything to do with sales? And it was hard. Like, it was a really rough transition. I think any jump into sales um, can be challenging. But I remember probably four or five months in having a, a conversation with my boss and he was saying, you know, Lucas, you're treating this so much differently than the other members of the team. I was like, well, what do you mean? And he said, the other members of the team are looking at this like a nine to five job. Like, hey, I come in at, I clock in at this time and I clock out at this time. And like, you know, I try to do my best in the middle and, you know, and we'll see what happens. And he said, but, but you're not treating it that way. Like you're treating this with an objective. Like you have a mission to accomplish. And when you show up, like you show up early and you're focused. And sometimes you stay late and you're focused. Like you're not just going through the motions. Everything in your day counts. And that struck me. And it was the first time that like it clicked. Cause like, 
it didn't feel weird to me because I'd been doing that since the age of 13. Like, you know, like I had, it just, what I was working on changed, but that same like focus of here's the objective. I'm going to focus on figuring out this objective. Like, and as a 13 year old, it was like, okay, I have to figure out how to memorize a third of a Shakespeare play so I can present it. You know, as a 16 year old, it was, hey, I have to figure out how to teach sort of freedom because Tatiana's moved on. And the only person that knows anything about the class is me. And I'm going to be teaching it to youth that are like my same age. I'm going to have to figure this out. Or then like in college, similar experiences. And then now, like then going into sales, like I, I had been taught without realizing it, the very valuable skill of how to really learn. Like you don't learn, like it wasn't preparing for the SAT or the ACT where there was this fixed form that's like, okay, you know really clearly from the outset, like here's how to do well. The world isn't that clean. When you're building a business, nobody has has a rubric of like, here's the right way to do it. You have to do trial and error and you have to be able to set goals and and work really hard towards those goals and you have to make those goals. Um, and I think that's one of the ways that I see leadership education impacting me that in, in my career, but I think I've seen it impact other people in other careers is that ability to learn anything and just be really, really good at learning. I really love that you mentioned that because when I do let me training, I often explain like, this is a project, right? So this is project learning what is project learning? And I'm like, well, you want to tell me how much of your day is compartmentalized into 30 or 90 minute segments? You know, like how much of your day is just the dishes or just, you know, just doing X, Y, and Z? Nothing. When you're in job, it's like you're doing everything the whole time. And so it's like nothing in life is compartmentalized or simplified to the fact of like, now we're going to do reading for 90 minutes or history for 90 minutes. Nothing's like that. So when you do project-based learning, you're teaching how to function in the real world because nothing's like, nothing's compartmentalized in like, in chunks like that, except for in, I guess, a factory. I mean, like, <laughs> that's true. Like, that's what my husband is doing is just putting things in chunks for his production assembly line. But besides that, like, really nothing like if is broken up into these chunks where you get to have these breaks and, and it can be, oh yeah, we're only going to do this for 30 minutes. It's like, it doesn't exist outside of the classroom. And yeah. so I think that I really like that you bring that up because that's what really is the power project-based learning is like, yes, we're doing the constitutional studies, but actually, I'm doing 10 other things at the same time and I'm giving an objective and a goal and incentives that are outside of just like the class to incentivize you to do it. So I'm teaching you all these essential skills to function in the real world. I love that you make that connection. I'm super passionate about that. Well, and along with that is like, I think the flip side of that is with also with project-based learning, sometimes you do need to have chunks, but you have to cremate those chunks. Like you need to say, okay, I need 30 minutes or 60 minutes or 90 minutes of focus time on this. No one outside is going to make that for you and say, okay, here's your beautiful 60 minutes of time to work on that project. You have to come up with that. Um, and there's a lot of good research right now around that challenge in America that 
in the world right now, we're celebrating and rewarding distraction um, with Facebook, Instagram, like we're rewarding it that way, but also in the workplace, like these open workplaces where everyone like has a cubicle next to each other. And you're always like rubbing shoulders and chatting. And it's like this very conversational open workspace, which is theoretically great for like synergizing. It's very disruptive for deep work and the ability to go deep on a project. And so there's, so while it's like very difficult to go deep, there's also never been a big, better, a bigger need to be able to go deep for people in whatever job you're in to have time where you can focus and say like, here, here's a project. I just need 60 minutes or 90 minutes without interruption to really go deep on this, on this project. And so what, and so in like in, in economic environment we're in, in the business world we're in, that's a huge disparity that there's a lot of research suggesting that those youth who know how to do that are going to be financially well provided. And I know education is not just about money and providing, but I think that's an element of, of being able to provide and, uh, and give back to community youth who know how to structure and have that taste for deep work. And know this is what deep work feels like. Like I know shallow work and I know deep work and I know how to prioritize deep work, whether that means like going in early or like telling people, sorry, I can't chat. Like I have to, like, I have to be focused. Like there's a sense and you can taste, once you've tasted deep work, you know the difference. If you've never tasted it, it all feels the same. But once you've tasted deep work, then you can know like, I'm doing deep work right now and that's not deep work. And that's going to be something that going forward is going to be increasingly valuable. And, and sadly, a lot of youth aren't going to have that skill, but in project-based learning, it requires it of you, especially in a Commonwealth school where you're meeting once a week or you know twice a week and you have all of the rest of the time you're on your own. Like if, you need to get those projects done. You need to get those plays read. You need to get those presentations created. And you have to be responsible for blocking out that time and creating that deep focus time. That's such a valuable skill that I think students won't realize they're learning until they go to the job force and they see how many other people only know how to do shallow work and they don't know how to do deep work. Yeah, that structured time, not content. So taking that time and just going deep. Yeah, we do ask our our mentors and our scholars to do hard things. You know, I I'm I'm uh, mentoring Key of Liberty right now and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, they are going so much deeper than I ever did in, you know, grad school. So I'm like <laughs> but they they like it. They they love it. Um, yeah. It's really important to, to expose them to that. I feel like my children have been in, you know, the intense baby phase for the last 10 years. And I feel like that deep learning has not existed for me. <laughs> like, I know what it feels like, but it's been so long since I've had like an hour and a half. Where, you know, like, I'm a, and I'm sure you're your wife also relates to this because she's also extremely well educated, but like, 
It's just like, oh, I don't remember what that's like. <laughs> but we're getting there. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah, I have to, Catherine and I have to remind ourselves of like phases that there's yeah. that there's certain phases we're in now, um, and there's awesome parts to that, like the cuteness. So our kids are, we have five kids, eight, seven, five, three, and one. Um, I guess almost three, five, two, and one. And like super cute. We'll say the most adorable things and are so funny. Uh, and we just have to remind ourselves of those things because the other thing is like, they don't sleep well and they're often up multiple times a night and they don't always eat well. And, you know, we're struggling to have all of them fully potty trained. You know, like, you know, there's like, it's still, you're dealing with all of those, like all of the challenges of coming with like little kids, there's challenges there. And, but there's also the good things of that phase and just, you know, reminding ourselves, this is a phase, it will pass and, and there will be things that we miss about it. I really love that you bring up the season thing, because I don't know if that's part of leadership education or just the philosophy, but that's something that has been so, maybe it's something that let me teach us, I don't know where, it just feel it's part of that kind of world, because I know and I was like came to my mom and I was like I can't this is exhausting like when will this ever change She's like it's a season and you need to be okay with the season and and it's going to be a beautiful season that will pass but it's so liberating to be able to look at life like that not look at life as achievement based where it's like I'm not x y and z where I want to be you know it, it's a different way of of seeing your reality and it's and once you realize oh my gosh yeah I'm in this phase in the season find the joy in the season and it's okay to know it's a season. Yeah. I think of Thomas Paine's um, American Crisis paper, the present age, if well-employed, no, the present season, if well-employed, is worth an age. That that line right there, when I read it um, in Keep Liberty, it's, I've, it's been one of my favorite lines all the time. Present winter, that's what it is. The present winter, if well-employed, is worth an age. And it's just been really, like, I've always thought about, it's like that one, you know, 1777, 1776, 1777, on the, <clears throat> when they're fighting in the Trenton, and they yeah. just use that one winter, it was worth 250 years worth of freedom. They could just use that time right. Um, <clears throat> well, we've had, yeah, yeah go ahead. Like I was just thinking, how many times is that true for us? That like the present, wherever we are, like, this moment, this day, this week, this month, if it's well employed, you can see huge dividends. Um, we've almost taken up a whole hour of your time and we're super, super grateful for it. Um, I think, Heidi, do you have any other questions you want to ask? Oh, to be honest, Lucas, I would love to sit down with you and just talk, you know, geek out about education and teenagers and all of that. <laughs> it's been so much fun, you know, talking with you about all of that. But um, we can do that another time. Oh, yeah, let, let's do it. I'm yeah. so grateful. Thank you for this opportunity. So if people wanted to find you or reach out to you, are you available or like on social yeah. or... I, I use social media so rarely that I, I'm happy to give out an, an email, which is my name, lucas.reynolds at gmail.com is probably the easiest way for people to connect with me. That'd be awesome. Um, so one thing I want to um, 
I always like to ask in closing is, uh, what advice would you have to somebody who's thinking about having their kids do a Commonwealth? Or, or what would you tell them if someone's like, oh, I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll do a Commonwealth, maybe we won't. Like, what would, if they're kind of on the fence, what would you tell them? Yeah, I, honestly, I'd probably ask questions and lean in to see what is that, what does that youth need? And what's their individual journey? And like, what does the parent already know about the youth? Um, because I think that's the power of a Commonwealth school is it's, is it so tailored to the needs of the youth? And I think that's where the blessing of this age is youth have a lot more options than ever before for education and parents have more options. Sometimes that's scary and sometimes that's daunting. Um, but I think I'd want to ask a lot of questions. Tell me about the youth. Like, what are they like? What are they into? What are their challenges? What are they try to understand where that youth is? Um, first of all, and then if, if they're considering Commonwealth, I think my two, the two biggest things that I would point out is one, it's a great opportunity for youth to be exposed to some of the greatest literature, the greatest minds in, in history. And there's so much value to that. And two, you're part of a community of people that are, are seeking for that, that are seeking for goodness and seeking for, um, for light. And, and there's so much value in that. And I guess the third part is the opportunities for leadership and the opportunities to, um, to manage your time on your own, um, that I think are, are really powerful. So those would probably be my, the three recommendations. It was so awesome catching up with you and, and just hearing your amazing insight. And it's so fun talking to you because I'm like, oh my gosh, wow, it's really fun to talk to people who are as well-read as you are because it's like, oh yeah, we should have more conversations. <laughs> uh, agreed. And, and that's the beauty. That's, I think one of the things that you're creating with a Commonwealth school is you're creating a generation of youth who are well-read and who you know, haven't only read the latest science fiction, but have read great minds and have been exposed to them and have grappled with, you know, Nietzsche said this and Plato said this and C.S. Lewis said this and Christ says this and Gandhi says this and like there's overlap, there's conflict, like how do I reconcile all of these things? It's there's a price that's paid there and a huge reward that comes. Yeah. Especially if you get through, through TGYC and you, and you do all that hard work. <laughs> yeah. well, thank Love you it. so much for your time. Hey, you're so welcome. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training, we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community. Please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.